0: Hello, and welcome to Words on Film, the spoken word podcast dedicated to moving pictures. I'm Dan Burke, your host and movie critic, and I'm here to tell you exactly what I think of some of the latest movies out right now. I did take a week off for my show last week because I had some family in town and I didn't really have time to do the show, not to mention watch movies. So I took last week off and this week I'm back, of course, with three brand new movies to review. All three of these movies have come out on November 5th, 2021 or thereabouts. The first movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is Eternals, which is the latest addition to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It is actually, let's see, um, it is the 26th film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it's directed by Chloe Zhao. And Chloe Zhao had made history earlier this year by being the second woman and the first woman of color to win the Academy Award for Best Director, which she did for the excellent film Nomadland, starring Frances McDormand, who also won an Academy Award for her performance. So after that film, Eternals... Oh, and also... For that matter, Nomadland won Best Picture. I almost forgot about that. Yeah, the Oscars this year wasn't particularly memorable, both the the winners and the ceremony itself, but considering it was done in COVID, I guess it was okay, but... Chloe Zhao does have a pretty tough act to follow with Eternals. Not only the fact that it comes after a Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Actress winning film, but also it's completely unlike any other film that Chloe Zhao has done up to this point. As a matter of fact, the budget for Eternals is probably bigger than all of Chloe Zhao's previous movies combined. But, still, I am not... um, Going to exactly tell you what I think of the, the movie yet, but I will tell you that this movie is about the saga of the Eternals, who are a race of almost immortal beings who lived on Earth and shaped its history and civilizations. That's what the tagline says. Let me be a little bit more specific, though. So, the Eternals are a group of 10 superpowered humans from the planet Olympia, who first came to Earth in the year 5000 B.C. And they're sent by the Celestial Erishim to Earth to fight the invasive Deviants. And the Deviants are basically these skeletal monsters who plague humanity. And the Eternals don't really have any specific connection or investment to the humans they are protecting. Which makes me kind of wonder, why are they protecting them? But anyway, over the millennia, i.e. over the next 7,000 years, they protect humanity from the Deviants, but are not allowed to interfere in human affairs. They kill the last of the Deviants in the 1500s, and the group's opinions differ about their continued responsibilities and their relationship with humankind. They spend the next 500 years mostly separated from each other, waiting for Arisham, to send them home. What's taking Arisham so long, this movie doesn't quite um, tell you. But we're focused first off in the present day where there is uh, an Eternal by the name of Cersei who's played by Gemma Chan. And she is an empathetic Eternal with a strong connection to humans in the Earth who can manipulate inanimate matter through physical contact. So... If there is a boulder that's about to fall on you, she can touch that boulder and turn it into flowers. It's actually a very unique superpower. And her sidekick, or rather her her right-hand eternal, is one by the name of Sprite, who's played by Leah McHugh. And Sprite has the physical appearance of a 12-year-old child, with McHugh calling her a quote-unquote old soul. And eventually... Sprite and Cersei are settling in in London, thinking that the, the deviants are not going to attack. But then Icarus, an old flame of Cersei, who's played by Richard Madden, comes back and warns them that basically <laughs> the deviants are not done yet. They've just been lying dormant for the last 500 years or so. And Icarus is one of those uh, powerful Eternals who can fly and project cosmic energy beams from his eyes. So he has powers very similar to Superman. And eventually, they spend uh, a good part of the movie bringing the rest of the Eternals together, including Kingo, played by Kumail Nanjiani, who I believe is the first Pakistani actor to play a Marvel superhero. And he can project cosmic energy projectiles from his hand. And he also, when he separates from the rest of the Eternals, becomes a Bollywood star. And he is certainly the comic relief of the crew. There's also Fastos, who's played by Brian Tyree Henry, who is very intelligent when it comes to weapons and technology. There's also Makari who is played by Lauren Ridloff, who some Walking Dead fans might remember from that show. She's deaf, and she's the first deaf superhero in the MCU, but she possesses the power of super speed. You also have Druig, who's played by Barry Keoghan, who is an aloof eternal who can manipulate the minds of others. You have Gilgamesh, who's played by Don Lee, who is a strong, whose strength is his strength. You also have Karun. Oh, excuse me, never mind. Um, You also have Ajak, who is played by Salma Hayek, who is the wise and spiritual leader of the Eternals, who has the ability to heal and is the bridge between the Eternals and the Celestials. The Celestials are the ones like the character, Arisham, who live in the universe and are responsible for bringing the Eternals home and putting them on their next assignment. So you have a lot of really interesting, dynamic, and diverse characters within the Eternals, which I really liked and appreciated. I should also note that there is one other Eternal I forgot to mention who is played by arguably the best known of the actors. Her name is Thena, not Athena, Thena. And she's played by Angelina Jolie, who is an eternal, excuse me, an elite warrior who can form any weapon out of cosmic energy and develops a close bond with Gilgamesh over the centuries. And there is a less than perfectly explained subplot with Thena where she develops another more dangerous personality that takes over thena's good side that's not particularly well explained throughout the movie and doesn't serve very well as a subplot yeah uh, here but it it is one of those features that the eternals show so There is a lot to like. I think the the cast of the Ten Eternals work very well alongside each other, and they act very well, too. But unfortunately, I do think that Eternals is the weakest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies so far. And it is kind of impressive, because even though I haven't seen the first two Thor movies, which I hear are the weakest of the bunch, Eternals is the first Marvel Cinematic Universe movie that really just disappointed me. It disappointed me because the exposition was rushed. The pacing, particularly when the Eternals were trying to get back together, felt a little sluggish. And also, some people had a problem with the runtime. I didn't have a problem with the runtime so much. I think that I subscribe to Roger Ebert's philosophy about The length of movies in that no great movie is ever long enough and no bad movie is ever short enough. And I do think that if the exposition um, was better explained and the pacing of the movie was uh, greater uh, or at least uh, more consistent, I do think that very few people would have had a problem with the length of the movie. I also had a problem with the fact that there are 10 characters here. And even though all of them are introduced to us, not through spoken exposition, I still felt like there were probably about six Eternals that I didn't quite know very well. And it's not the fault of the actors in the film. All of them, I thought, did a really good job with what they were given. The problem is very much like other films with too many supporting characters, they weren't given enough. And I do believe that Eternals could have benefited from a movie that was more of an origin story. So, for instance, if they had made a film that that took place, let's say, entirely within 5000 BC or you know the period before Common Era, I think that people would have been... I think that it would have given more room for exposition while not compromising the integrity of the story. And I do feel like the problems with The Eternals were about the same with the problems with the 2016 movie Justice League. With Justice League, you had some superheroes that were introduced before, like Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. And even if they weren't introduced by previous movies, I think everybody knows the basic gist of these heroes, which is why the Justice League movie could skimp on uh, some exposition. And actually, that was one of the weaknesses of the Justice League movie because it felt like it was trying to play catch-up to the Marvel Cinematic Universe instead of taking a lot of these characters putting them in their own movies and letting their personalities and their powers become more fermented in people's minds. And Eternals, I think, should have done that. I think it should have started with maybe one or two characters. If they had made a movie about just the relationship between Circe and Icarus, as well as having Sprite as a supporting character, I think that would have been a good start. Or if they had made... Another film a little later about, say, Kumail Nanjiani's character or Brian Tyree Henry's character or Salma Hayek's character or any other ones of of these kinds of characters, just like they did with the movies before the Avengers, I think that would have served as an asset to this film. Because truth be told, no one really knows who the Eternals are. A lot of people know that they're based on comic books. They were actually created by Jack Kirby, not Stan Lee, and they made a fir- their first appearance in a comic book by their name which came out in 1976. But only die-hard comic book fans, guys in their 40s and 50s like Kevin Smith for example, would know that fact. Most of the rest of us including a guy who goes to the movies and doesn't read as many com Comic books like yours truly would get that. But I do think that Eternals was decent. I just think that it could have been a lot better. And it kills me that I loved the movie Nomad Land so much. And Chloe Zhao makes a big budget superhero movie, and it just lacks what other Marvel Cinematic Universe movies had. But with that said, I don't think The Eternals is terrible. I do give it a marginal check-out. I was considering whether or not to give it a strike-out. It certainly isn't a flunk-out. I do think that the acting, the visuals, the special effects, and some of the themes really worked. But the lack of character development, the vague and muddy exposition, as well as the sluggish and inconsistent pacing really was a liability to what the Eternals could have been. But now that they're established in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I have the feeling that the Eternals will return and they could potentially make a better movie after this with or without the direction of Chloe Zhao. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is Spencer, which is not only a biological drama about Princess Diana, a moment in her life, but it is also a psychological film as well. It's directed by Pablo Lorraine, uh, and I wouldn't have expected um, a Chilean filmmaker to make a movie about the uh, British monarchy, but I guess it just goes to show you that you could make any kind of movie um, (laughs) you want about anybody you want. So, uh, this director, Pablo Lorraine, also directed another unorthodox biopic in 2016 when he directed Jackie, which was the story of Jacqueline Kennedy before she became Onassis, but right after the... Uh, appalling assassination of her husband, President John F. Kennedy. And that was a good film, and Natalie Portman turned in an Academy Award-nominated performance. Um, And here, in in this film, Spencer, Kristen Stewart plays um, Diana, Princess of Wales. The reason the movie is called Spencer is because A lot of people don't realize that um, Princess Diana's maiden name was Spencer before she got married to His Royal Highness the Prince of Wales, better known as Prince Charles. Now, this is not a true story per se, but it takes place in December of 1991. It is, I think, inspired by actual events. But the psychological processes in which we see Princess Diana go through are fictionalized, not based on any previous books or articles. It's actually a a story that was written by Stephen Knight that, in a lot of ways, kind of reminded me of seeing a one-woman show, for example, except... In this film, there are supporting actors, including but not limited to Timothy Spall, Sean Harris, and Sally Hawkins. So the movie takes place in December of 1991. It actually takes place over three days, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and Boxing Day. And the Christmas holiday for Princess Diana in particular, even though she is staying in a lavish a uh, mansion, which is the Queen's Sandringham estate, her Christmas is really anything but merry. Her marriage to Prince Charles has long since grown cold, and though rumors of affairs and divorce abound, peace is ordained for the Christmas festivities at the Sandringham estate. There is eating and drinking, shooting and hunting, and Diana knows the game. After all, she's been married to Prince Charles at this point for over a decade, but this year things will be profoundly different. And Spencer is an imagining of what might have happened during these few fateful days. And Kristen Stewart, as I said, is cast here as Diana. And honestly, I don't think Kristen Stewart would have been the last woman I would have chosen to play Princess Diana But I can think of about 20 other actresses who are currently working in Hollywood right now, regardless of their age, who could have probably played Princess Diana better than Kristen Stewart. Off the top of my head, I can think of Naomi Watts, Charlize Theron, Margot Robbie, Michelle Williams, Daniel Day-Lewis. And I wouldn't put it past Daniel Day-Lewis to play a convincing Princess Diana. But Kristen Stewart, I think, as an actress, I've seen her go from doing a commendable job to what are you doing in this movie? You don't seem like you want to be here. But to Kristen Stewart's uh, credit, her performance actually did impress me. I was against her. I mean, not so much that I'd go on... Facebook or Instagram and ask people to boycott films. I wouldn't do that. But I'd be willing to give Kristen Stewart a chance. The only thing was that in other times, she's either done a commendable job or disappointed me. She's never really impressed me until this movie. And even though she doesn't look exactly like Princess Di, and it's hard for an actress to play someone who is a public figure like Princess Diana was without looking exactly like her. But even though she didn't, there were moments in this movie where I was convinced I was watching Princess Diana even though Kristen Stewart doesn't look exactly like her. And I would probably say throughout 80% of the film, I had that reaction. Another 20% of the time, I could tell it was Kristen Stewart, but Kristen Stewart had Princess Diana's accent down cold. And her psychology or her 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 descent into um, madness quiet madness I should say was believable almost all of the time. So I do commend Kristen Stewart. It's obvious that unlike other films in which she's been she wanted to play this role. She actually put forth the methodology and the psychology to hone her acting craft for such iconic a role, and it really paid off. So very good job for Kristen Stewart. And her supporting cast in this film is also impressive without exception. There's Timothy Spall, who plays Equerry Major Alistair Gregory, who is a composite character who's loosely based on David Walker. And he is a very uptight individual whose job it is to let Princess Diana know where she's supposed to be at various times, and sometimes he can be insufferable, other times he can be strangely warm. And I do think that Timothy Spall did a great job as a supporting player in this movie. There's also Jack Farthing, who plays His Royal Highness the Prince of Wales, and the Prince of uh, the Prince of Wales, Prince Charles, in my opinion, and this is a show entirely about my opinion, is not a very likable person. And also, especially when it came to Princess Diana, he d- did not know what a good thing he had when he had it. And yes, Prince Charles and Princess Diana did get divorced, but I think that was largely Prince Charles's fault. Because he actually said in an interview in 1994, years before he and Princess Diana got divorced, that he never loved her. It's very cold, and I think Jack Farthing definitely makes Prince Charles an unlikable person, as Prince Charles probably is in real life. But I think he definitely hammered home the point that this marriage was not working, regardless of the affairs that both Princess Diana and Prince Charles would inevitably have. There's also a great supporting performance in this movie by Sally Hawkins, who plays a character that I also believe did not actually exist in real life. She is only referred to as Maggie, and she is the royal dresser. And she becomes a confidant to Princess Diana. And I thought, actually, Sally Hawkins would have been another one of those actresses who might have played Princess Diana better than Kristen Stewart, or at least I would assume that she would... But I think Sally Hawkins, to her credit, actually works with Kristen Stewart very well in the scenes they have together to elevate both of them to greater levels. So it's kind of like Sally Hawkins gives Kristen Stewart the assist and Kristen Stewart makes the goal. And there are also some very warm scenes between Kristen Stewart as Princess Diana, where she's with her young sons, Prince William, played by Jack Nealon, and Prince Harry, who's, who's played by Freddie Spry. I thought the scenes between the, the three of them, especially one scene where Princess Diana wakes the two of them up on around midnight on Christmas Day, were done really well. And these were the best of Kristen Stewart's performance as Princess Di. And she also finds a kindred spirit, Princess Diana does, according to this movie, in Anne Boylan, who was one of Henry VIII's wives who, because she wasn't able to bear a child, Henry VIII had her beheaded. And she's played in spirit form, Anne Boylan is, by Amy Manson. It would have been great, actually, if Natalie Portman had come back, um to reprise her role as Anne Boylan like she did in The Other Boylan's Sister. But you can't ask for too much. I did think that Amy Manson did a good job coming back as um, Anne Boylan or that spirit who is oftentimes creepy but also has a lot of things in common with Princess Diana in the sense that they are both part of the royal family by marriage, and they both have a certain dissatisfaction with being princesses. And it's it's said that a lot, not every little girl's dream, but many little girl's dreams is to become a princess and be married to a prince. And this movie shows the dark side of that. I think a lot better than... The movie Into the Woods did, for example. But there was a lot wrong with Into the Woods. It wasn't a a bad movie, but it wasn't great either. But I do think that this movie hammers home the fact that even though Princess Diana is known to this day for redefining the royal family, particularly with the fashion choices that she made, this movie does argue that maybe A, those fashion choices weren't hers, and B those choices in what clothes she had were more constricting than perhaps they should have been. But I was very impressed with the exception of a few moments, particularly towards the end where the film felt a little bit sluggish, but this movie was a lot better than I expected it to be. I loved Kristen Stewart as Princess Diana, and in the eight years that I have been hosting this show... I've seen a lot of movies with Kristen Stewart in them. I will admit I've not seen the Twilight movies, but I've seen clips of them. And I think that this is the movie that will propel Kristen Stewart out of the Twilight stigma where Robert Pattinson has also propelled himself out of recently. And Spencer is a surprisingly uh, impressive film. It is actually better than Pablo Lorraine's previous biographical effort in Jackie, but I do think it serves as a good double feature for Pablo Lorraine, and it is likely he will direct another film about a woman who is in royalty or has a high place in government, and these three films will make a great trifecta. But Spencer gets my rating of a knockout, a certified knockout. It is very impressive. Kristen Stewart does a much Much better job than expected. And this is unquestionably her best role to date. And there are also some great performances, uh, supporting performances by just about everyone involved. Timothy Spall and Sally Hawkins most especially. I didn't have high expectations going into a movie where Kristen Stewart played Princess Diana. This could have backfired big time. But fortunately, Kristen Stewart had the focus and the drive to really make acting her craft rather than something that she just kind of rolled out of bed to do, which, frankly, some of her other performances seem to have done, even though Kristen Stewart has been acting for over 20 years. Now, I can say she's not just the name on a marquee. She is a real actress. I hope she keeps it up. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is The Harder They Fall. This is a Netflix original film that premiered on the platform on Wednesday, November 3rd. It is the feature film directorial debut of uh, James Samuel, who is also known as... Uh, by his stage name, The Bullets. And he is a British singer-songwriter, music producer, and filmmaker from London. And he's been associated with other acts such as uh, Jay Electronica and Most Deaf. He's released uh, two studio albums so far, as well as singles like When It Rains, Who Writes the Songs, Baby Don't Cry, Close Your Eyes, uh, which actually features Lucy Liu, interestingly enough, and Super Cool, amongst others. So, in terms of filmography, he's only directed two other short films before this. One is They Die by Dawn, where he also played the role of Lobo, and the other one was Jay-Z Legacy. Remember, both of these are short films. This film, The Harder of They Fall, is not to be confused with The Harder of They Come, which is the film uh that's that came out in the early 70s that was a midnight movie favorite starring Jimmy Cliff and that's a legendary film in and of itself but this is a western which has a predominantly black cast including Jonathan Majors, Idris Elba, Zazie Beetz, Regina King, Delroy Lindo, Lakeith Stanfield, R.J. Kyler, Danielle Deadweiler, Ed Gathegi, and Dion Cole. So many great actors in this movie, especially Regina King and Idris Elba. And this is the first film in which Regina King has played a villain. And let me explain to you what I mean by that. Um, Idris Elba plays Rufus Buck, who is um, a, an outlaw who very early on in the film, kills an adversary of his uh, and also permanently marks the son of his adversary, Nat Love, with a cross on his forehead. And Nat Love, who grew up to be to be played by Jonathan Majors, makes it his mission to avenge his family's death by killing Rufus Buck which is which is Idris Elba's character and he starts off this movie by killing one of the gang members just right off the bat and his he's not exactly an angel because along with some other sharpshooters and quick draws he ambushes another gang and robs banks in order to survive, but eventually a standoff between Nat Love and Rufus Buck plays out in a Western town. Now, if you've seen a lot of Westerns in the forties, fifties, and sixties, this film will probably be of no surprise to you in terms of its theme. And it is fictitious, but the characters of Nat Love, Rufus Buck, Stagecoach Mary, Bass Reeves, Cherokee Bill, are all actually based on real people. So the movie in and of itself is fictitious to a certain degree, but a lot of the characters in the film, for the most part, are real. And Rufus Buck has a stagecoach gang, which includes Trudy Smith, played by Regina King, and Cherokee Bill, who are played by, who's played by Lakeith Stanfield. And these three actors are great. I haven't seen them in anything bad, or if I've seen them in bad movies, they themselves haven't been bad in them. But they are also badass. And this movie does a great job with showing them robbing banks and stagecoaches and the supporting characters that back them up also play these roles very well. This is really a a movie with a familiar theme and a familiar plot, but overall some very unforgettable uh, moments and not to mention some... Unforgettable characters. And I do think that James Samuel takes some inspiration from some of the previous westerns, particularly those from the 60s that were directed by Arthur Penn and Sam Peckinpah, but probably also some influence from Quentin Tarantino. And I do think that if James Samuel had not directed this movie the way he had and Quentin Tarantino had taken over the reins, I think Quentin Tarantino would would have directed it largely the same way, but that's not taking anything away from James Samuel's direction of this film, because I do think he takes inspiration from Arthur Penn, Sam Peckinpah, and other, uh, Western directors of the sixties who really not only directed compelling Western stories, but also, reinvented the western genre and made it more violent. In fact, this movie is probably as violent, if not more so than The Wild Bunch, which is why I loved it and had a great time uh, watching it. And The Harder They Fall is a very impressive feature film debut effort by James Samuels. I think all the actors in the film bring their A-game here. And there are also some great um, dual scenes, particularly when Zazie Beats, who is part of Nat Love's crew, takes on Regina King. The two of them have an intense fight scene that is really amazing and really fun to watch, which is why I give The Heart of They Fall my rating of a knockout. Now that movie theaters are open... I would have loved to have seen The Harder They Fall on the big screen rather than at home uh, on Netflix. But the upside to this being on Netflix is that, first of all, I do think that Netflix has done a great job promoting films with people of color as well as foreign films that other people with movie theaters in their town would not be able to watch otherwise because of the homogenization of multiplexes these days but the heart of they fall i think is a great film to watch on streaming you know in the comfort of your own home but i would have preferred to see this on the big screen and this did have a limited theatrical release on october 22nd but i'm really glad that i got to see it because it is a fun and intense cowboy movie with some excellent acting and the fact that I compare compare this not so much to Quentin Tarantino but to Sam Peckinpah John Ford Arthur Penn is a big compliment for a first-time feature film director like James Samuels who also has a terrific uh, song choice in this film of modern songs which somehow fit very well into this theme. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. Now that I've reviewed all the movies I have to review for this show, it's now time for me to get into my next segment, which is what's coming up next. This is a spoken word preview of movies that are subject to be released in theaters and on streaming for the week of November 7th through November 12th. 2021. And I'm going to start actually with streaming this time because that's where I have the best access to these um to a set of movies. And we're going to start with Netflix and on Sunday, November 7th, it's not it's not often that a movie comes out or debuts on a Sunday, but in this case there is a Christmas film that is going to be premiering on Netflix on Sunday November 7th and that film is Father Christmas is black as is back excuse me that would actually be an interesting movie father christmas is black but the movie is father christmas is back it is directed by Felipe Martinez and Mick Davis and stars Elizabeth Hurley who we haven't seen in a while John Cleese great casting i hope he plays santa claus Kelsey Grammer and Nathalie Cox. And this is a movie that I'm not told uh, the cast, who's playing whom, or the synopsis, but it is a British film. And the reason I could tell it's a British film without looking up that it's a British film is the fact that it's called Father Christmas is Back, not Santa Claus is Back. Because in Great Britain, what, who the character who we know as Santa Claus is is known as Father Christmas there. I really hope John Cleese plays Santa Claus, even though John Cleese is not a portly individual, but it would be interesting because I love John Cleese. I have since I became a fan of Monty Python. And I will uh, review this movie, and I will let you know what I think on next week's show. Another film that is premiering on Netflix as a Netflix original is a movie that is called Passing. And that will be premiering on Netflix on Wednesday, November 10th. And that is actually one of the few um, films that is going to be premiering on Netflix this week as a Netflix original. There's one more, and I'll tell you exactly what this is. But this is a movie that has some definite Oscar buzz. Passing is a black-and-white film that is directed by a woman, uh, Rebecca Hall, who actually, uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you why it's significant that Rebecca Hall is directing this movie. And it's not just because this is her directorial debut, but passing follows the unexpected reunion of two high school friends whose renewed acquaintance ignites a mutual obsession that threatens both of their carefully constructed realities. And the two high school friends in this movie are Irene, who's played by Tessa Thompson, and Ruth Nega, who's played by Claire. Ruth Nega has been nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actress in a Leading Role for her her, um, role in the movie Loving, where she co-starred alongside Joel Edgerton. And this is the groundbreaking Supreme Court case about a black woman and a white man who got married, even though they were residents of Virginia, where it was illegal to get married. So both Mister and Missus Loving got thrown in jail just for getting married. And it's it's amazing that it was just it was illegal for people of different races to be to get married um, back not even 100 years ago. In fact, more like 70 years ago. But in this film, Ruth Nega plays a black woman who is passing as a white woman, and Tessa Thompson plays a woman who is not passing for white. And both Ruth Nega and Tessa Thompson are uh, biracial. And as it turns out, Rebecca Hall, who you've seen in such movies as Vicky Cristina Barcelona, The Town, The Prestige, and The Awakening, amongst others, does actually have African blood in her ancestry. And this actually surprised me, but Passing is a movie that is generating some definite Oscar buzz. It is certainly a very timely topic in this day and age of Black Lives Matter. And, um it is a movie that I will be seeing and I will let you know what I think on next week's show. Another film that is premiering on Netflix as a Netflix original is a movie that is called red notice. And this movie is very hotly anticipated. It's not as timely or rather it's not as serious a movie as passing is, but it is an action comedy starring Dwayne Johnson uh, Gal Gadot and Ryan Reynolds, and this is a movie that. Excuse me, uh, again the shoddy internet is giving me trouble. This is a movie about an international. Excuse me, an Interpol agent who tracks the world's most wanted art thief, and this is a movie I'm quasi excited about seeing. It's a movie I will see. Um, Dwayne Johnson has top billing as he should. Gal Gadot should have top billing, but unfortunately she is third to Ryan Reynolds, who I don't think should have second billing because, uh, let's face it, I really think Ryan Reynolds is overrated as an actor and as a box office draw. Deadpool is really the only reason he is a, a star on the marquee, but... I will give him, I give every actor a chance with every movie. And this is actually directed and written by Rawson Marshall Thurber, who as a filmmaker has directed episodes of Ryan Hansen. He actually directed a movie with Dwayne Johnson called Skyscraper. He directed another movie with Dwayne Johnson called Central Intelligence. And he had previously directed a comedy with Jason Sudeikis, Jennifer Aniston, Emma Roberts, and Will Poulter called *We're the Millers*, which was a decent film. And he also directed *Dodgeball*, interestingly enough, the movie with Vince Vaughn and Ben Stiller, which is still a comedy, as a new comedy classic to this day. So he has a cast of really great and charismatic action stars, and Ryan Reynolds. And I'm willing to give this movie a chance. I would love seeing Dwayne Johnson and Gal Gadot in the same movie, along with Ryan Reynolds, who seems to be one of those people who says, hey guys, wait up. And while I give Ryan Reynolds a hard time, the reason I give him a hard time is because I know he can make better films than he's been making. And I also know that he can be a good action star, and a good comedy star, when he knows when to take breaks, when he knows when to shut up. But the problem is, in the movies he's been in, particularly this year, like Free Guy and The Hitman's Bodyguard's Wife, he doesn't quite know when to shut up, and he is overbearingly smug. But I'm going to give this movie a chance, and I'll let you know what I think on next week's show. Let me get to the movies that are actually opening in theaters. On November 12th, there is a movie that is starring Neil McDonough and Bruce Willis, and it's a movie called Apex. And lately, a lot of films with Bruce Willis in them haven't been coming up first in the uh, box office in terms of movies that are most hotly anticipated. But Apex is a movie about five elite hunters who pay to hunt down a man on a deserted island only to find themselves becoming the prey. So, Neil McDonough is a veteran actor who's been acting in movies for 30 years. He's usually not the first person billed, especially over Bruce Willis, but uh, this is a movie that I might give a chance. I don't know if it's coming out in the theater near me, but if it does, I'll see it and I'll let you know what I think on next week's show. Another film that's coming out, this is a movie with some genuine Oscar buzz. It's a movie that's called Belfast. It's about a young boy and his working class family who experience the tumultuous late 1960s in Ireland, in the city of Belfast, which I think is Ireland's second biggest city uh, behind Dublin. But Belfast has an advantage over Dublin is that it is not divided between Ireland and Northern Ireland. So the star of this movie is Jude Hill, who plays the lead character, Buddy, but he's not quite as well known as his co-actors like Jamie Dornan, who plays his father. And Jamie Dornan is another one of those actors like Kristen Stewart, who I've seen him in the Fifty Shades movies. He's not, he was terrible in those films, but I've seen him in more and more films and he's, I'm kind of warming up to him. Maybe I'll feel the same way about Ryan Reynolds. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, Judy Dench also co-stars as the grandmother, and it's interesting that Judy Dench is British and she's playing an Irish grandmother, but it's not a huge stretch, but there is that that uh, touchiness about Ireland not being part of Great Britain, even though it used to be by force. Also, Ciaran Hines plays the young boy's grandfather, and this is a film that I will see. I can practically guarantee that I'm going to see it, and I will let you know what I think on next week's show so in addition to Belfast there's another film that's coming out in theaters or subject to be released in theaters on November 12th I anticipate that this will be a big hit it's a movie that's called Clifford the Big Red Dog which of course for those of you who were in grade school at any point in the last 40 years will know this character and if you weren't in grade school over the last 40 years your kids will probably know him This is the long-awaited movie about a young girl's love for a tiny puppy named Clifford that makes the dog grow to an enormous size. Having read several Clifford books when I was a kid, I'm interested to see how this movie is. I don't know if Clifford is going to speak like he did in the books or if they're just going to make him uh, an actual dog rather than an anthropomorphic one, but I'm interested to see this film. This film also, interestingly, co-stars John Cleese. Apparently he's been busy. Um, It also co-stars Tony Hale, David Alan Greer, Horatio Sanz, Paul Rodriguez, and several other notable comic actors. I can't guarantee whether or not I'm going to love this film, but I will see it, and I'll let you know what I think on next week's show. Well, that's all the time I have for this episode of Words on Film. I always love talking about movies, and I hope you liked what you heard. If you did, please subscribe and rate the show and leave comments if you can. I would love to get your feedback, even if it's more criticism than praise. This has been Words on Film. I'm Dan Burke, and until my next episode, I'll see you at the movies.